Hi, I'm Melissa. Hi, I'm Kara, and you're listening to Cultivated Conversations. A space where we talk about life, family, work, where we're getting it right, and where we're getting it wrong. And what it means to live and purchase ethically in a fast-moving world. Grab a cup of coffee or a glass of wine. Pull a seat up at the table and know that wherever you are on your journey, you belong. And we are so glad you've joined us. Hey, listeners, welcome back to the podcast. On the show today, I have Anna and Kelsey. I met these two friends at breakfast in India, and I am so excited for you to hear their stories and their journeys to adoption. All three of us have adopted from India. All three of us had very different adoption processes from India, so I'm excited for you to hear those. And Anna has actually adopted from Uganda as well, so you'll get to hear her journey in Uganda. Enjoy this episode as we talk to some adoptive moms. Well, today on the show, I have my friends Anna and Kelsey, and maybe a, we might hear a brief from Shay, Kelsey's little one, Um, but welcome to the podcast, ladies. Thank you. I met these ladies in India at breakfast one morning (laughs) when we had, we were on the last leg of picking up Finney. And Anna, you were headed home, and Kelsey, we were in for a ride for the next week <laughs> together. Yes, yes, we were. <laughs> so, oh, there he is. Well, I'll start with Anna. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure. Um, so, my name is Anna, and my husband David and I have been married for eight years in July. And we have four kiddos who are all internationally adopted. Um, we adopted our first son about a year and a half after we had been married. Um, wow. And he is from Uganda. And then, so he was adopted in 2013. And then in 2014, we adopted our second son from Uganda. And in 2015, we adopted our third son from Uganda. And then we brought home our fourth child, who is a little girl, and she is from India. And we brought her home January of 2018. So we have um, just a wild, crazy house. And it's kind (laughs) of like a season of just little people over here. So every day is definitely... Uh, a surprise. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kelsey, tell us the same. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Okay. You're in a crazy season as well. Yes. <laughs> My husband and I uh, have been married for about five and a half years. And once we hit our second anniversary, we started our adoption process and ended up adopting a little boy from India. Brought him home January of 2018. Same day and, as us. Yep. <laughs> we were all there together. Yep. Um, while we were stuck in India for three months, I got pregnant unexpectedly. So we added <laughs> oh Shay in August. And so it's been a wild year of becoming parents and having mm. two kids. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, that's where our life is right now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Well, tell me, Anna, how did your family decide to adopt? Um, So 
When I was a little girl, I always knew that I wanted to be a mom, but mm -hmm. I never, like, I would hear, even growing up, I would hear my friends talk about, like, how they were so excited to get married and have babies and um, build their family that way. And I just never, ever had those same desires, even though I knew in my heart that I wanted to be a mom someday. Yeah. And I didn't at that point really think about it or know what that meant. But then um, when I was in college, I decided one summer that I was just going to go to Uganda. Um, I kind of just needed to like do something for myself. So I went to Uganda for the summer and I stayed at a baby home over there. Um, uh -huh. And I just fell in love with the culture and the country and the kids. And I saw the huge need that there was um, for families and for these children who didn't have parents. Um, and I fell really in love with one little boy who kind of changed my life and he ended up passing away because he didn't have um, he didn't have parents. He didn't have anyone yeah. caring for him. So when I came back, that kind of rocked my world, and that was really like the catalyst that started us um, thinking really seriously about adoption. And it kind of all just snowballed from there. We yeah. adopted, you know, from Uganda the first time, and we were so scared when we first did it. And then after that, we were like, "Wow, this is." amazing it's hard but it felt so natural for us to build our family that way so yeah um yeah so ever since then that's kind of what our plan has been yeah your story of when you were a little girl sounds very similar to mine yeah always wanted to be a mom but never had a desire to be pregnant yeah no me neither <laughs> everyone talked about the adoption. glow but <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't feel it <laughs> yeah how about you kelsey um actually i have a very similar story like i was <laughs> four or five and oh, someone wow. came to our church and started talking about orphan care and I told my parents I was moving to Africa and building an <laughs> orphanage and it just kind of went from there and so I always had a heart for it. I lived off and on in Guatemala and worked at an orphanage there and then worked in several adoptions and when I met Matt I told him right up front that I was planning to adopt whether or not he was in the picture so <laughs> he needed to be on board. I never wanted to be pregnant that is just not ever a desire for me. Yeah. Here I am holding my <laughs> six-month-old baby. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just we always knew that that was going to be part of it, and Matt got on board with that, and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so funny that all three of us are similar yeah. stories. <laughs> yeah. That's not always the case. I know there are a lot yeah. of women that – walk the road of infertility before mm -hmm. they start their adoption journey, which just feels like lots of pain and then a hard road of adoption. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Today, we're really talking specifically, everyone's adoption journey is very different, even yeah. when they're from the same country. So that's the kind of caveat I want everybody listening to know. We're really going to be talking about our international adoption experiences. Sure. And even those are... <laughs> Hi, <laughs> um, but even those are different so just want people to know there's even local adoption that looks even just way different than what we'll be talking about but can you tell us just a little bit about your Uganda process um yeah it was the hardest thing that we've ever done yeah 
And like you said, even all three of the boys being adopted in different years um, made a huge difference for our processes. So when we first started the adoption process, we kind of joined um, the Ugandan adoption journey when things were going relatively smoothly in Uganda with the government and with the um, feeling towards adoptions in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we adopted Finn, our our first adoption, it went relatively smooth. We we did our home study, we got our referral, we went over to Uganda, and then we were in country for about four weeks, and then we came home with our Uh son. And it like everything felt really it didn't feel easy at the time but it didn't feel um that there were any like big hang-ups or you know super hard pieces that that we had to jump through and then when we adopted our second son zion i was in country with him and finley for 11 weeks trying to um navigate through his adoption process Uh And it was simply because the the culture of adoption within the country was changing. And yeah. even on this side, pieces were changing. So everything was really, really slowing down. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were really starting to look into cases a lot further, which is good. Birther, yeah. which is good. Right. But we were... Yeah. Um, so yeah, so his was 11 weeks and there was many, many times when I didn't know if we were ever going to leave Uganda and come home, um, Yeah, but we did. And yeah. then when we adopted Solomon the following year, the entire process took even longer um, and we made two trips to Uganda. One, we were there for about two weeks. David and I both went. Um, to do his court process and then we came home and waited for four weeks hoping that that would cut my in-country time down uh-huh. and then I went back over alone and I was there alone for 11 weeks 11 more weeks with Solomon oh, wow. um, and that was a super super hard time because David was here with the other two boys mm-hmm. um, and yeah again eventually everything ended up going through but while you're over there it it feels like a long, long time. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, so they, all the processes were, were really, really different. But one thing that I do always think about now that we're home is how much of a bond we made with the boys at that time. Mm-hmm. It was just me and them, and we had nowhere to be and nothing to do other than just sitting and waiting for their processes to go through. Yeah. So honestly, it was, it was a really special time and it got you know it really just like made our hearts love that country even more and learn so much more about the culture but while the process was happening it was really really hard for for my heart oh yeah yeah um can you give us a brief on your daughter's process too from india sure yeah so honestly after the ugandan processes um when we adopted from uganda that country is a non-hag country which just means Uh that they're not a part of kind of the overarching system of adoptions Mm -hmm. and so in country everything was just kind of up in the air on how things would run and luckily india is a part of the hague um, convention and so that process to us felt a lot smoother and a lot safer 
we did a lot of waiting, but we were um, on this side of the ocean waiting with our sons and in yeah. our own home. Um, and it was still hard. The waiting was still hard, but we weren't in India, which did make a difference. Yeah. And so the process for, for Zimra, um, I felt went pretty good. We were in a part of the country where they hadn't done hardly any international adoptions. So our court process was a little bit lengthy. We had 17 court hearings, which made me feel like I might lose my mind. Um, Over how many months? It was over four months. Okay. Um, So it wasn't as long as some people's. It was just one after the other. And every time we would wait to hear if we passed court and then there would be another one scheduled. (laughs) Um, So that was really hard. But overall, the process was really smooth. When we got into country, everything just went exactly how it was supposed to. And I think we were there for 12 days. Yeah. About before we came home. So we just, just David and I went over and our parents watched the boys and we did the process there and came home with her. So yeah, yeah, totally different. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then you'll hear too, a lot of our listeners followed my adoption journey with Finney, our daughter from India. Very similar, except for the court, I think went a lot smoother. Sure. I don't know how many court dates we had, but Mm. this sets me up. Kelsey, would you be comfortable... (laughs) And I asked this, I asked Kelsey this before we came on today because her son's story is hard and you guys went through a lot. And so (laughs) to share that publicly is, it's not a given. So I asked her before we came on today, but um, would you share just a little bit of his story? And we heard last week from Anna Patak, um, she is an Indian adoptee and she had a lot of concerns about trafficking. Yeah. And I really feel like this is going to be good for our listeners just to hear um, your son's story and even what the country of India is doing. So, yeah. So we, we actually on the front end had a pretty smooth process. We had some, to be blunt, agency issues. Uh-huh. <laughs> um and that was our biggest holdup, but everything as far as getting passed by government stuff and fingerprinting and all that, we kind of flew through um, unusually fast. Uh-huh. So we got our referral really quickly, and it was for this little boy who was in an area that they haven't done adoptions. And so they warned us ahead of time that it might be a little bit longer. We're kind of getting into unknown, um, which we were yeah. totally fine with. We're big adventures and risk takers and we knew he was our son and we his name even means land and sea which we kind of picked the land part and his given name meant ocean and so we just felt like from the beginning that we were going to go over land and sea to yeah meet our son um i already have goosebumps so (laughs) we got through we got our referral in august of oh gosh 20 it's all like a blur. Um, yeah. 2016. Um, and we had started the process November of 2015. So got our referral in August. Ended up getting into court by November of 2016. And it was looking like we would be going in January to pick him up. Uh-huh. And so we got to January. Everything kind of felt quiet. And then in the middle of February, we had randomly 
I, I have a love-hate relationship with social media, uh-huh. but <laughs> we <laughs> had we connected this with this amazing family who, through one of my very cryptic posts about where our son was, obviously we can't, we couldn't yeah. release that. She had messaged me and asked if, you know, asked the name and their daughter was there. So we had connected and we were really wow. excited that, you know, we were the, the two first adoptions from this orphanage and... So I get a call from her one night uh, in the middle of February saying that she saw this article on Facebook about our orphanage being raided and kids have been moved and they've arrested everyone and I'm sitting on the floor in Target at 9 o'clock at night crying and pulling up all of our adoption paperwork to try to match names and and realizing that every name signed on our paperwork is listed in these articles of being wow. arrested and pulled out of this orphanage. Okay. So that kind of began the scary part of our journey. Um, yeah. We didn't know what was true and what wasn't. And what had the article said and that it happened that they raided it? It said that the, so it was a woman who was running the orphanage and she ran a women's shelter alongside it. And Apparently, her and her brother, her brother ran an orphanage in Calcutta. They had been trafficking and essentially running illegal domestic adoptions. Okay. And Mm. they had the uh, head of child welfare and Darjeeling involved, and he would sign off and send these kids down, um, which both of our children were from Darjeeling and sent down to this orphanage. And then the head doctor was signing off any kids that had a non-visible disability. He would check them off as healthy because in India, when you adopt domestically, you adopt healthy children, mm-hmm. what they consider healthy children. And domestic adoption there is very difficult. And so this was kind of a skip the system trafficking situation. Yeah, But she also ran a women's shelter. So she essentially was bringing these women in, ha- delivering their babies and telling them that they had died and then auctioning the babies off. And then the women would disappear, which obviously we all know what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, they most likely were being sold into trafficking as well. So yeah, so there was a lot of, uh, a lot of fears, a lot of our kids alive, are they yeah. safe? And then there was the thought of, do these kids belong to a family? Um, yeah. We had that thought of, obviously, I love this child, but if he has a family looking for him, we don't want to step into that. Right. So um, we spent the next couple weeks just in an unknown place fighting to get information, fighting. And to you p- had no idea where he was. Nope. No idea where he was. Um and honestly, fighting our agency to listen, to trust that this was true, and it wasn't yeah. just some scam article. Um, there was actually hundreds of articles that were all stating the same thing, so we knew it was true. We finally got word right before his second birthday that he was safe and that they knew where he was, and they had already investigated us. <laughs> they knew we were doing everything legally because we had gone through a legit agency and through the adoption authority in India. So I woke up that week. I woke up one morning to 
an email from the India police investigation and they said they were investigating us. And then the same day we got a phone call from the United States government saying uh-huh. they've investigated us and they yeah. know where our son <laughs> is, but they can't release that information. They can't tell our agency where he is. So we went his second birthday and didn't know where he was, just trusting that they were all right and that he was safe. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I think it was like two weeks after that, we finally got the information about where he was located and we got a video, which was our first video we'd gotten of him. So, oh my gosh, that was just a, did you break down? Oh my gosh. It was the I most feel like I'm about to break down. Difficult, terrifying, just, and it was just one of those things where we just had to, I mean, as a parent, you have to release your kids. And that was really that first moment where we had to release our kids and I think I think moms and dads both step into the adoption process differently and for my Uh husband it was very much a he wrote in his journal that night when we found out about everything that you know he's been his dad from day one but that's the night he became his father Um, and just feeling like he had to fight for him yeah so yeah just solidified that but uh, yeah, through that process, we just really felt like God just kept saying, he's our Moses and that he's marked our son and he's sent him in to save his people and he's not ours to hold tight to. And, um, we found out that one of the first things they told us when they contacted us to let us know was that our, there were, we actually found out later there was another family and their son was also involved. So we had three little, little kids at this orphanage and, all three of them had visible disabilities. Mm-hmm. And so our son had clubfoot. One of the little girls had cleft palate and one little boy had albinism. And so they couldn't sign them off as healthy because it was clearly yeah. there. And so Kara actually called us and said... And Kara is the India... Wa- India Adoption Authority. Mm-hmm. They said that he was not wanted and he was completely worthless to them. And so... He wasn't trafficked, and they can confirm that. And it was such an upside-down thing of being so grateful to hear that your son is worthless and not wanted. Um, right. Oh. But it's what saved his life. Yeah. But we found out later that had we not gone through the agency, gone through all the right avenues, and said yes to these three kids at the exact time that we did – those three kids may not be alive today because mm-hmm. they weren't worth anything to these traffickers. Um, yeah. And so on one hand, being obedient and walking in that is what saved these kids. But these yeah. kids also just took down a trafficking ring at, you know, one and two years old <laughs> um, because Kara actually – because of our adoptions, they now started seeing red flags. Uh-huh. And this trafficking ring had been running up and down the border of West Bengal for 10 years. It was a huge, huge trafficking ring. Uh, her and her brother had been doing this. So many government officials were involved. And because our kids were now registered legally and mm-hmm. legally up for adoption through the right system... Um, that's how they started discovering that something was off. And that's actually why they ended up raiding the orphanage 
Um, we found out later that they had actually moved our kids before they raided it, um, which is good because yeah. there are a lot of videos out there of the raid and it was pretty rough. Um, yeah. But at the same time, just so humbling to know that God used that to rescue these other kids. There were several kids that were actually reunited right. with their parents. Um, oh, wow. So it was a pretty big, big deal. Um, yeah. And it was really confirming to us that, I mean, I've worked in adoption for a long time. I've worked in Guatemala. I've watched countries shut down because they've been trying to get this HAG system going and you know, some people are on board, some aren't. And you want to hope that what system is being put into place is actually what they say it is. Mm -hmm. And we got to see firsthand that it works. <laughs> um, yeah. And that they, they did take notice because things were off. And so that was actually really comforting for us and put a different level of trust in the India Adoption Authority side. Mm -hmm. Just that they were doing their, their jobs to make sure that adoptions are safe and legal and um, yeah. making sure that kids aren't being kidnapped for money to be adopted out and all that that you know, happens. It happens a lot. Started over our process at that point on the <laughs> India side. So yeah. long story short, we ended up starting over, had to go back through court, and he actually got moved to an even more rural area. And his orphanage just did not do anything. Um, yeah. So we ended up actually going over and having to kind of fight countries uh, in India and spent seven weeks. We were supposed to get him the first week we were there. Ended up spending seven weeks and over Christmas <laughs> fighting and waiting. And we finally got to go pick him up on January 2nd and had a month with him in India, which like Anna said, was actually really, really good. It was such mm -hmm. a good bonding time for us, as excruciating as that was <laughs> and as hard yeah. as that was. Um, I think it's what made our transition home so much easier because, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, you're stuck in a hotel with a two-year-old <laughs> and there's yeah. nothing to do and nowhere to go. And so it really solidified our bond and our, our place as his family and um, yeah. just helped that transition. So it, yeah. it felt so good walking home, though. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Walking in that airport. <laughs> if for both of you, I mean, being Anna talking about being 11 weeks in country, yeah. we've only ever spent mm -hmm. Ethiopia. We had to spend two different trips about a week each, but we've never mm. spent that much time in country on an adoption. So I can't mm -hmm. imagine what it's like to <laughs> land on U.S. soil after those processes. Yes. Time goes it's very amazing. slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that yeah, is. Anna, can you explain the Hague for us and and also Kara just in India how those work to make sure the processes are ethical? Um, I can do my best. <laughs> <laughs> Hague, um, it's not just like one country; it's all of the different countries that wanted to be a part of it. They came together and developed kind of a specific method that they were going to use, especially for um, international adoptions, pretty much to make sure that the children that were being adopted were true orphans, um, mm -hmm. that, that they weren't being trafficked, that they didn't have family members who wanted them um, or who could care for them. And so really each 
country who does international adoptions was able to either say yes, that they wanted to be in agreement with that and have those safeguards on their adoption process, Mm -hmm. or um, some of them chose not to be a part of it. And Kelsey mentioned this, but there are now more countries who have decided that they wanted to join Hague. And so a lot of those countries have kind of shut down their adoption process while they try to become a part of that and to get all of the different pieces set up so that they can um, be a part and have those safeguards put on to their adoption process in country. Yeah. Um, That's the best way that I can describe. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's a good, good explanation of it. It's so, um, I don't know. It's so in depth, but, (laughs) and then um, CARA is just the central adoption resource authority um, in India and that's pretty much the government of India um, with the Ministry of Women and Child Development. And that's almost like their version of Hague, but just within their country. Mm-hmm. So they have all of their different processes, each piece that you have to go through before you can go over and pick up your child to make sure, I mean, pretty much to make sure that you have gone through all the hoops and also that the child that you're adopting has been investigated and has gone through the due court process. I think to, you know, to best hope that those different cases are getting found out, the ones that aren't ethical adoptions. Yeah. There was a big story in the U.S. right before we went to pick up Finney, (laughs) and that sparked a lot of concern for all of us when a child was hurt, of course. Um, But CARA actually ended up changing some of their requirements yeah so now all families going through we were at a point we didn't have to do this i think all of us were yeah we missed this point but they actually do it it's a psych evaluation now Mm yeah for all families wanting to adopt through india so which sounds excruciating to me but um feels like a good really shows their heart to want to make sure that that we're safe people that are adopting and yeah and it's at the home study point, so it's actually mm-hmm. at a good place to in the process. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like they add things in the process at weird places that yeah don't make sense. Right. But that right. one actually I mean, makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's pretty much right when you start before you get matched with a child. Yep. Yep. So can we talk about special needs for a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anna, I don't even know this. Are you open about your children's special needs? Yeah, we are. It's it's an interesting story. <laughs> oh, please tell us. I yeah. think this is so important for especially folks that are looking into adoption, for mm-hmm. them to really think about and pray about going the route of special needs adoptions. Yeah, yeah so. I agree. Yes, so I'll start with our first adoption. Um, and I, I won't take forever. <laughs> um, but when we, f- when we first started the adoption process, we were so nervous about what special needs to be open to. Because mm-hmm. essentially, when you do your home study, they give you a list of special needs. And you have to say either, yes, we're open to this, or no, we're not. Uh-huh. Um, and that was one of the hardest parts because yeah. you, yeah. you know, you're looking at that list and you feel like you're saying yes and no to actual kids. Yep. Um, yeah. 
And so, you know, we were... Kelsey and I are giving the nods of like, <laughs> yes. oh my gosh, yes. Yes. this is the worst. <laughs> and it's such a long list. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> I, you know, and we were like Googling. There was some things that we had never heard of before. <laughs> right. And, yeah. Um, you know, so we're, we're going to be brand new parents and we've never adopted before. And we're terrified that we're never going to be able to raise the money to even do this adoption in the first place. Yeah. And so I don't remember exactly the special needs that we said that we were open to, but it was like kind of a measly list. Um, uh-huh. And I feel like now when I look back, I'm just so thankful that God just like opened our hearts and showed us that we didn't have to be so scared um, and that he had everything under control and he had everything in his hand. Um, but when we, when we adopted Finn, they had, you know, some different needs listed for him, mainly um, just that he was behind in, in his development, which is really obviously very <laughs> just, common in yeah. <laughs> international yeah. adoption. That's just kind of a given. Yeah. But also that um, he had failure to the th- failure to thrive. Um, and that was a need that we were open to. And Mm -hmm. so, um, we adopted Finn knowing that we had not been open to a a big range of of special needs. Um, Mm -hmm. and then actually after we adopted Finn, I started working for an adoption agency as a Ugandan adoption coordinator, um, just helping families through the process and helping families be matched with, with waiting children. And I remember um, really, very clearly, one day our, my boss messaged me a picture of a few different kids and she said, you know, we need some help finding families for these referrals and we don't have anyone who is open to HIV. And that is, Mm. you know, the Mm -hmm. picture at the bottom is of a little boy. So she said, as of right now, we don't have any families that we can match this little boy with. And so I'm like, okay, you know, I opened up the email and I saw his picture and I immediately knew that he was our son. Um, And it was, it was like six months after we had adopted Finn. And I put my head down on the kitchen table and just started crying because I thought like, God, what are you doing? You know? Um, And we didn't know anything about HIV. We hadn't, we had not done very much research about it, but at that point Mm -hmm. we were like, you know what, we, we know that God is, is telling us to do this. And so we did all the research for our home study. We had to write like a 12 page paper on why we could parent a child (laughs) with special needs, you know, just like, we had to do that too. Wow. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So we did that. We basically educated our our yes. social workers here in Oklahoma. <laughs> we we did the same thing. Um, and so we did that and we went and we adopted Zion and then we got home with him and um, we brought him to the International Adoption Clinic, which we had done before. We have one right in Minneapolis, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And he tested negative for <laughs> HIV. <laughs> and so and tell we us had, how that happens. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, a child can test a false positive if they're young when they're first tested because they can have their mother's um, antibodies still mm. in their blood system. Mm-hmm. And so that's what had happened with Zion. Um, but we had felt so very prepared for him to come home with that special need mm-hmm. that, of course, we were, you know, we were thankful for him um, that he was 
completely healthy. But we were like, wow, now we're, you know, super prepared for this. And so actually after that, we said, let's adopt a child who has HIV because now we feel like this is not a big deal at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we adopted Solomon and he has, he does not have HIV. He has different (laughs) special needs that I'm actually not going to go into at this moment, but they're ones that have came out more as he's been home um, Mm -hmm. Uh just with, they they think he was born premature and that has caused some different difficulties with his speech okay. and with his um mm-hmm. with his eyesight and with his hearing and so mm-hmm. we've kind of taken that ball and ran with it as it as it comes but then yeah. when we decided to adopt from india we knew that we were going to go the special needs route because we're not indians and we're living in the u.s <laughs> and so and that's a good point Yes. To adopt from India, yes. if you're not Indian, you have to go the special needs route. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. We were so much more open. And it was all because we had just seen God take away all the fear that we had had um, mm-hmm. when we decided to go and adopt Zion. And mm-hmm. so um, then when Zimra, when we got Zimra's referral, she was an HIV positive child. We had said that we were open to many, many different special needs, but that we were really interested in adopting an HIV positive child um, just because of our experience. Mm-hmm. And when we brought Zimmer home, she also tested negative. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my gosh. And so she does not have HIV either. Um, so we might have to start the process again, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it has just been really interesting how we started out so scared about so many things and now that we have adopted these beautiful kids, every single adoption, those, every fear has just been wiped away, really. Um, the fears that we had are not the fears that we have today. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell, um, we've walked this road and our friends freaked out when we said we were open to adopting a child with HIV. Yeah. Do you mind giving a short overview of... No, I don't mind. It's not the 80s anymore. (laughs) So a lot of people's thought and view on HIV is stuck in the 80s. So update our knowledge. Yes. Um, Okay, so I think a lot of times, even when when we said that we were adopting, people had a lot of questions um, like, well... What if your ch- like what if your children share toothbrushes or what if one of your kids gets a cut on their lip and then they share a cup and just really um, mm-hmm. did not understand how HIV is spread, mm-hmm. um, which is it can be during the birth process, it can be spread to a child or if a mother is breastfeeding her child, um, mm-hmm. and then through blood. And, you know, we, when we were doing research, we learned that there has not been cases of HIV spreading within a home. Like, it, it's yeah. very, very hard for HIV to be spread. And then something that I think really people that um, haven't thought far into the stigma of HIV don't really think about it. But now they've even, you know, said that a child or a, a person who is being treated for HIV on ARVs, which is the antiretrovirals, their blood count will show that, um, it will show that it's undetectable. And if it's undetectable, 
it's proven now that it's untransmittable. <laughs> and so yeah. once they're on ARVs and they get, you know, they have to be on them for a while, but once their blood is showing undetectable, there's not a chance for them to even spread that disease to anybody mm -hmm. else. And they can get married and they can have babies um, and live yeah. really a, a healthy, healthy life. So yeah. we, we are just so thankful for the research that we did, even though we don't have a child with HIV because it has really taught us so much and has been um, just really, really good for us to open our eyes to things that we thought we knew yeah. that we yeah. didn't really know. And that's too why we have um, universal safety precautions. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's why when I'm, when I'm in the church nursery and something happens, the first thing I do is go get gloves. Yeah, right, right. Um, because that child's parent does not have to tell me. Yep. I don't have to tell anybody my kid's HIV status. <laughs> yep. And nobody else does. And that's wise so that mm -hmm. you protect the safety of all kids and their privacy as well. Exactly. So, when people are like, oh, no, I don't need gloves. I'm like, universal <laughs> safety precautions. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, Kelsey, how did y'all <laughs> walk this road of special needs? Well, we, um, I had actually always thought that I would adopt a little cleft palate baby. I've worked with it a lot and I've actually nannied for families who've adopted cleft palate babies. And so I've walked that road a lot. And Clubfoot was actually also on my list. Mm -hmm. um, and those were more just like, I just kind of had a hunch. But we were really open. I mean, like you said, it was just a hard, it was hard to go through such an extensive mm -hmm. list. And something about it that is interesting is it'll just say like heart defect. Well, that can mean anything yeah. from yeah. they have a heart murmur to they need a heart transplant. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. so to say no to that just felt so we're saying no to mm -hmm. such a wide thing. And so we actually on almost every special need said dependent on severity. Mm -hmm. And mm. it was actually why we were really grateful. We had a great social worker and it's where if you have a really good agency, <laughs> this is the matching process, you know, is so dependent on how much they know about mm -hmm. your family. And yeah. so we really just trust our social worker to know, you know, she's seen our house, she's seen our mm -hmm. lifestyle and our jobs and what we can handle and our finances and we kind of just had to trust that and trust mm -hmm. that, you know, we've been open to a lot of these things. Obviously God can give us things we can't handle. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, because <laughs> that's what we just, we were pretty open to a lot of different things. We didn't share it with a lot of different people because mm -hmm. sharing that we were adopting just brought on some fun reactions. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so we kept that part quiet, but, um, but yeah, actually, it was interesting. I actually had not done a ton of research on Clubfoot. I just assumed it's Clubfoot. Like everyone knows about Clubfoot <laughs> and you see all the videos of people going and they fix Clubfoot and Cleft Palette. And uh -huh. so when we got the referral and I started actually researching it, I was pretty appalled at how little we know about Clubfoot um, mm. and how horrible the care is. Uh -huh. And so I'm grateful that I'm a researcher. <laughs> And yeah. we right away found the top doctor and he was within driving distance slash flying distance for us. Uh -huh. And after reading horror story after horror story and staying up all night <laughs> reading yeah. about people in the U.S. who just had these horrible processes and 
I got put into oh, several wow. Facebook groups. Um, again, the benefit of social media <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and just read all these stories. And we're, I was seeing all these pictures of parents going, this is what my kid's feet look after this doctor did something to it. And just horrible. It opened up my eyes to how uneducated we are on a yeah. lot of things that we yeah. kind of just pass by as, oh, it's fixable. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It is, <laughs> but not as common as we think it is as far as yeah. having a great doctor. Yeah. Um, mm. I mean, we live in Nashville, Tennessee. We live near Vanderbilt, and I just assume Vandy's a great hospital. But we also quickly found out that not every hosp- not every great hospital has great specialists mm-hmm. um so yeah it was just it's been an interesting journey it's actually been really cool because after doing all that research we connected with some other families who were adopting some clubfoot babies and they ended up getting connected with the same doctor because of our research and mm-hmm. so it's just been cool to pass that on and people get really passionate about it <laughs> and yeah um so yeah, that was one of those things I thought I knew about until I actually got the referral and then realized yeah. I had no I had no clue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's been a really learning curve drink from right. a fire hose journey. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh man. Would y'all be open if any of our listeners had questions about if they're looking at that long list of special needs and had questions, would yes. y'all be open to Sure. Yeah, I'm always up for questions. <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll put that in our show notes, how they can okay. sure. connect with you guys over social media. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, do you have any advice for our waiting moms that are listening? They do come home. <laughs> <laughs> I think the best advice we actually were given was the first time we sat down with our social worker. And maybe this was just... God knowing ahead of time what we were about to walk into, but we were going over the rules and the regulations and the agency stuff. And she just stopped and she said, look, you are your child's best advocate at the end of the day. Mm. That's your child. And you need to fight for your child. And at the time we were just like, yeah, okay, whatever. But that stuck with me through all the times where I questioned my mom gut. And I know in our, our mm-hmm. process. I had a lot of mom gut moments where I got in fights on the phone with people about what was happening. And I felt really beaten down and really defeated and felt like I was getting slapped on the wrist a lot only to later mm-hmm. on be proven that my mom gut was right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we wasted a lot of time because then I kept stepping down. And so I just kept playing that in my head. Like I'm my child's best advocate. And to the moment we walked him home in Nashville, that proved true. And honestly, it's continued to prove true through fighting for medical care and fighting for Mm -hmm. therapy and all these things when you know your child best, even when they're on the other side of the world. I think that was like my biggest thing through that process, as hard as it was to just remember that every paperwork, every phone call, every midnight researching Mm -hmm. every little thing you know researching the town researching the court system you're you're doing something productive for your your child yeah um yeah that's your child's best advocate Mm -hmm. I like that how about you Anna yeah for me um 
I guess kind of what I wish that like someone would have told me when we first started um, was just to be prepared for, how do I say this? I think when, when we were in the process, we felt like the whole adoption was the process. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But since coming home, it's been really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've worked through yeah. different things that we never thought um, would be a part of our lives. And we've gone to so much therapy and I have gone to so much therapy that mm-hmm. I never, yeah, I never thought that just that it would just keep going and going. Not that I didn't think it would. I just didn't think about it. Um, yeah. And I think just being prepared for that, being prepared um, that it could be years and years of just walking with your child through really, really hard things. Um, yes. yes. And something that has helped us now, but that I didn't have the first few years, is just having a really strong um, adoption community. And not just online, but like people that I can go to and be with and cry to who are gonna understand me and who aren't gonna judge me and who are gonna understand that I am advocating for my child and the things that I do. has yeah. been so helpful for me. And I wish that I would have had that earlier on. Even though I had the adoption community online, I hadn't mm-hmm. built a community around me before we brought our first two kiddos home. Um, yeah. yeah. And I found out that I really, really needed that. And so yeah. we do have it now, but it took a long time to build it. And I wish I would have been building it before we started the, the processes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's huge. That's something not talked about. And Mm -hmm. that's honestly what got us through our process was we connected with a few other families and just Mm -hmm. have had an ongoing conversation. We now visit each other. And I honestly don't know that we could have made it through because you need those people you can Mm -hmm. vent the ugly to and say, did we do the right thing? And have Mm -hmm. those hard moments that you can't do with everybody and yeah and post-adoption is not very talked about it's the same thing with you know after you give birth no one ever talks Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. what happens after it's just oh you have your kid and this is amazing and I think with post-adoption it's actually a really lacking there's just not a lot of support there so you really need to build that ahead of time and through the process yeah oh man I'm like tearing up over here (laughs) (laughs) shout out to my Supper club of adoptive moms. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I had yep. heard about, so our processes were, you know, when you're in the middle of it, we're, we were like, this is so hard. <laughs> right. And it was, but once we got through them, it was like, oh, everything went really smooth. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. Um that's how we met Kelsey and Matt. It's like, oh, ours was really smooth. <laughs> We're not going to tell you about our orphanage. They prayed over our daughter. We're just not going to talk about it. I just didn't pee um, for 13 hours. It was fine. <laughs> I literally, I remember hearing Acre's story and, and thinking, okay, we're just not going to talk about our nuns praying for our kids. So hey, everyone's story is different. <laughs> yes. Um, but we got home and even, 
it was just hard. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Couldn't sleep. I mean, our daughter still sleeps in our room, which yeah. is very normal for adoptive families. Yep. If you're not an adoptive family, it's very, very normal. Yep. And when you ask, when is that going to stop? We don't know. Yep. It's always <laughs> my flying by the seat of our pants. Okay. It's always my favorite question in our post-adoption group. It's like two weeks home and everyone goes, so when do these kids sleep? And everyone comments, good luck. (laughs) It's going to be a a long ride, (laughs) but we're all in it together and we've all been there. And yeah, but yeah. But during that time, we'd been home maybe a month and with Finney, so our second and my friend who's an adoptive mom had been inviting me to her church's like dinner that the adoptive moms had every month. They go out for Mexican food, leave the kids at home. And a few of my other friends were in it. And it was like a Sunday and I was texting Tammy going, when does that supper club meet? I need it like (laughs) now. And she's like, it meets tomorrow. I was like, okay, but here's the thing. Finney has to come. And she's like, they understand. They will understand. (laughs) And it's like you said, Anna, they just... You can say stuff and they don't look at you like, mm-hmm. what's that have to do with adoption? That seems like, you know, or you sit down and you look overwhelmed and they go, you need a round of sopapillas or a margarita. What do you need? Yep. Tell me what to do, yep. you yeah. know, and, and then you can laugh with them yeah. about these hard things in such a different way than yes, your friends that haven't been through that process. It's yeah. a little bit more awkward to laugh yep. about. And even I'll things never. well-meaning, they're like, oh, it's just, my kid does that too. It's just a toddler thing. And yeah. to have your adoption people who get it and go, no, there's trauma here and there's a background here. And yes, it's very yep. different. You need those people. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, ladies. <laughs> I've just teared up several times. So thank you so much for telling your stories, which is a big deal and very generous. So I don't take that lightly. Yeah. I always wrap up the show with a few, we are an ethical fashion podcast, so, Mm -hmm. and we are talking about these big issues that just, once our eyes are open to some of the injustices in the fashion world, our eyes tend to get open to other injustices, and what's going on with kids around the world is Mm -hmm. an injustice, and so, but we always bring it back to fashion, so, um, tell me a recent purchase you guys have made or any ethical brands that you're loving right now? Well, I am actually currently wearing my, because it's been a long mommy day, my Cantha Bay head wrap. Um, one of my dear friends owns a company here in Nashville, and she actually makes, it's expanded now to lots of cool things. She does clothing and head wraps and oil pouches and all kinds of stuff, but she started with mm-hmm. baby wraps and slings which they are the best. (laughs) They're amazing. I've used them for both my kids, but they're all made. She partners with Basha, which is in Bangladesh and India. And it's all to give women out of trafficking and out of hard situations, a new chance at life and Uh a job that actually is going to pay them a good wage and So I'm a big supporter of hers. I have all her products and she's awesome. And um, And what's her business called? It's called called Cantha Bay. K-A-N-T-H-A. And then Bay, B-A-E. 
Okay. We'll put a link on, yeah. on the show notes. Yeah, please do. She's amazing. Yeah. How about you, Anna? Well, I'm not a very stylish person, <laughs> but... That's not true. If you follow her Instagram. <laughs> Whatever. I've seen you in those footy pajamas. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> um, but when I was just kind of thinking about this, when you had said, you know, that this would be a, a part of the, the podcast, <laughs> um, what, what I have been doing for the last few years, I don't... I don't know. I think once you have kids, like, don't you just shop a lot for your kids? Um, (laughs) But when I do need to buy things for myself, I actually find myself looking for adoption fundraisers. Mm -hmm. um, Oh, yeah. Which has been kind of my new thing, even getting gifts for people. Yeah. Um, But my most recent purchase through those have been um, a new fundraiser that I've seen lately is people making their own feather leather earrings leather earrings uh-huh. shaped like feathers and so yeah. i just bought a number of those from different fundraisers um for people uh I'll post that are, a link you'll have to yeah, send those to me we'll... i will perfect um a friend who's adopting from liberia and another friend who's adopting adopting from india so mm, cool. okay anything you guys are looking forward to purchasing oh man so for the boys they're all from uganda like i mentioned and I had been doing, um, I don't know, I was just reading about some different brands for um, African-American kids and kids from Africa, and Mm -hmm. I found a brand called Flexin in My Complexion, and it was started by a 10-year-old girl whose name is Karis uh Rogers, and she was being bullied in school because of how dark her skin was, and so her Mm -hmm. sister helped her to start this brand of t-shirts that all say flexin in my complexion and she's like now one of the youngest um entrepreneurs who have had her shirts are being like sold in new york and she's gone to all these different fashion shows and um i'm gonna buy a shirt for for all the boys because i think that that that's just so cool and they're super cute shirts so yeah that's awesome Um, that's so awesome I, man, we actually, this is totally random and it's not fashion, so I don't know if it counts. Oh, you're good. Um, Let's hear it. Because of our son's feet, we're always looking for things that work on his stretching and flexibility. Uh And I found these things called wobble boards and they're handmade by this family. It's a family run business in Uh somewhere in Scandinavia. I'm not exactly sure, but it's all... (laughs) Like, they do it all themselves. They get the wood, and they make these amazing wobble boards, and it's all about trying to incorporate imaginative play and physical activity and um, just, yeah, just they want to incorporate play into kids' lives again, and uh-huh. which I just love right now, especially because our kids tend to just stare at screens and... Right. Um, but I'm always a I'm always looking for small businesses that make their own products and yeah I love that and I love that it's something that helps our child's it actually they do a lot of um, they have little yoga cards for kids that come with it uh-huh. and so they help like with focus and I mean you guys know with our sensory babies um, yeah. <laughs> that it's yes. just a Cool thing. So that's one of the splurges we want to do this year for him, just for his feet and for sensory stuff and focus and core strength. Um, 
while also supporting a, a family business. So that's awesome. Hoping to do that. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, Anna, I want to back up to you real quick because sure. your daughter, she says she's not stylish. <laughs> she's Y'all so just cute. Got her Instagram. <laughs> <She's> so cute. <laughs> If she's not getting it for herself, her kids are the cutest yes. things. Her little turbans just kill me. <laughs> I, I do try to keep them in style. <laughs> <laughs> now the these is the turbans that your daughter wears are just the yeah, cutest things the in the world. Where are you getting those? Yes. So there's a couple different um, places that you can get them. All of Zimra's are from a shop that you can find on um, Instagram and I believe that she actually just started a web page too and it's called Little Coochie L-I-T-T-L-E <laughs> C-U-C-H-I and they they're so adorable they're like little top knots so adorable. and uh-huh. it's one of the only things that she'll leave on her head and Zimra was actually a model for um, the company for a while so we got a lot of free ones Fun. oh that's great yeah which was perfect they're they're so cute yeah we're gonna have to post a picture yeah um to that because and she for a while i don't feel like i ever saw her hair i just saw her in those cute yeah in the head wraps her hair was a little unruly and (laughs) actually it never got better so she just got her first haircut today and that's also the cutest thing i've ever seen so (laughs) okay for our listeners um go to our show notes because i'm gonna post how you can follow these two awesome moms and adore their children from afar. So, um, but ladies, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Thanks, Kara. Shay, I'm so glad you joined us. Good timing. (laughs) Thanks for listening today. I don't know about you, but listening to Anna and Kelsey talk, I just felt like I was listening to a very sacred conversation amongst adoptive moms and I get to hear those a lot because I am an adoptive mom but I'm so glad that you guys got to sit in on that conversation today. Hey guys, guess what? Our ethical graphic tees are online. Our joy series is the first one. Can't wait for y'all to see them, buy them, enjoy them. Go to cultivated.fashion and shop. Be back in a few days with an episode on welcoming refugees.